Chicago, where the fire serve cold, but the wolves and the hawks never shiver in the snow. The bulls keep it running, the Sox run the south, the Cubs run the north, but the Bears run the house. Two Chicago sports fans got their ears to the street. Any team make a move, and they never skip a beat. And in this house, this is where we be. Welcome to the show with E Rock and Big Z. episode three with Swazo on Two Chicago Sports Fans, the podcast, and we're bringing in another host. This is going to be Eddie's first episode, and he will be joining us continuously from now on. Hey, Eddie. Hey, what's up? So, Eddie, give us a little bit of background about yourself. So, I've been with Two Chicago Sports Fans pretty much since the beginning. It was founded in uh, 2016 um, by Serge, and he brought me in to help push everything along. Uh, since then, I've brought in four other members. Most of us went to Lane Tech together. Oh, awesome, awesome. So, uh, how long has this page been open? Uh, since 2014. Um, and it was just kind of a, a screw-around page just to put up funny memes and th- things like that. You sh- most of the time when you see our, our Facebook page, that's what Serge is still doing, and he's really, really good at it. Yeah, he loves to stir the pot. That's his, uh, his MO, stirring the pot. It's definitely his hashtag, so whenever you see that, you know that's who that is. Uh, so what do you uh, do mostly? Because we had Serge who stirs a pot. What do you do for the page? So what I do really is all the graphics that you see, all of the Instagram graphics, all that stuff all comes from me. I upload and edit the YouTube material that we're putting up for the podcast. I'm doing that for both the True Chicago Sports fans as well as the Mike Logic All In podcast. Um, so you'll be seeing... My fingers in every pot all over the place. Shout out to Mike with his new podcast. Proud of him. It's awesome. It's so good. If you haven't uh, listened yet, Mike Logic, All Net Podcast, Spotify, YouTube. It's all over the place. Awesome. Awesome. So the big question we got to ask, Cubs or Sox, Eddie? Well, if you can't tell by my hat, I'm definitely a a Cubs fan, you know. (laughs) So we might have some fights over here at this table, you know. Nah, no fighting, no fighting. It's all love for all Chicago sports. Every single team is given love. There's no exclusives to anybody. So one thing I did want to say is that the, the part of the origins of True Chicago Sports Fans, the original name of the page was True Chicago Sports Fans Stick Together. And the idea was that in our page, in our group, no matter who you're a fan of, we all stick together as Chicago fans. There is no infighting between the teams, between the fans. We're just like one big group. We support you. I'll have my fandom. You have yours. But we're all together. All right, Cup fans. You're on notice. Play nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if you don't know me, I am Swazo. This is my third episode bringing a lot of sports, a lot of love. And uh, I myself am a, am a Sox fan, a Bulls fan, a Bears fan, a Blackhawk fan, a Fire fan, mm-hmm. Red Stars fan. I mean, if Chicago has a team, I am a fan of it. I need to go see a Chicago Dogs game as soon as they uh, are available to come out. And play and show us uh, what baseball is really about because these major league teams are playing around too much. Our guest today is going to be George Soto, a.k.a. Jay Soto, a.k.a. You and I verse, a.k.a. One half of North Rock 360. And he also happened to work at Wrigley Field during the summer of 98. We'll see if he caught any home run balls, any cool stories from that. Uh, speaking of the summer of 98, what do you think about that documentary? Uh, that documentary, it, it was painful <laughs> to watch. Painful. I think it was a Mark McGuire production. Yep. That, that's how much of a bias I seen it. Uh, it you know, there was a cameo by, cameo by Sol, uh, Sosa there. 
Uh, I mean, we saw him a couple times. He talked a couple times, but there was no new information that was given to the public that we already didn't know. He never admitted to taking steroids. He denied, denied, denied. Great. No one can prove anything at this point. We know he corked the bat. But at nothing the same new. time, nothing new came out nope. of this. Nope. They had so much footage, so much information that they could have taken it and done it just like the last dance and broken it up into different segments and shown the beginning of Sosa, how right. he came up, how he went through you know, the Rangers system, how he got traded to the White Sox. Yep. Which ESPN snubbed the White Sox again. Sorry, <laughs> I got to say it, but we get snubbed every single time, ESPN. You hear me. Now, he got traded to the White Sox. He had two good years with us. We traded him to the Cubs. It was an even trade at the time. Looking back on it, you know what? Eh. The Cubs got the way better deal, yep. way better player. We know in Chicago what Sosa was. We know what he was about. I don't think they really painted him in a negative light, but I really don't think that anyone who doesn't know anything about him or any, anyone that actually does know everything about him, there's absolutely no new information there. So I think that the way that they build it about being the long gone summer, about um, how everything was about the home run chase, I think a, a big thing that they missed out on was Ken Griffey Jr. We saw that he was part of it. He was supposed to be the story of that summer along with McGuire, and they didn't even interview him. We barely heard his name. We knew that he existed, and that's about it. I mean, that was a big problem for me. Um, we know a lot about Sosa in Chicago, like I said, so we are looking for any new insight. We know how Sammy is. He's always smiling. He's super happy. He's jovial. He's just happy to be there. And I just feel like we, we didn't get anything new from Sosa whatsoever. No, I, I agree with you. Looking, at, looking back at it, there was a lot of interviews uh, that were pre-recorded and recorded yep. from a long time long ago. Time ago. Yep. The Kerry Wood one was like five, six years ago. You know, why didn't they interview managers that he's had? Right. You know, the staff that was you inside. Saw you yeah, you saw Riggleman. You saw Riggleman, but I mean... What about the staff that's in, in the clubhouse from day to day? They could have interviewed somebody from there or somebody that was next to him in his locker. Right. Uh, maybe even address the whole the uh, uh, boombox issue with Kerry Wood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's get real down and dirty and let's figure out what this person was like. I wonder if there was something about, like, Sammy wouldn't allow them to do that. I mean, because most of what we got was Mark McGuire, who's, like, just this big giant who was good from forever. We knew he was good before he started juicing up. But, I mean, there was no no nothing. He's just a guy. He's very vanilla. It was fun to watch <sighs> so him hit. Vanilla. But there was nothing like that. Sammy had the personality. Sammy could have drove. Sammy won the MVP that year. And I know that the documentary was about the home runs and what they did that summer. But Sammy was the better player that year overall. All, all around, yeah. Yeah, he had more runs. He had more ribbies, everything. So, I mean, I think they really kind of missed the boat on bringing some of that personality that Sammy had. And I think realistically bringing in a lot of the, the Latin fans that, like, loved Sammy Sosa so much and just helped drive that. I mean, personally, watching that home run race was how I got into baseball in the first place. I mean, when I was a kid, it was all about the Bulls and the Bears. My, my family did not care about baseball. I was in high school when I started watching baseball, and that's what brought me in. It was the excitement. It was Ron Santo, you know, getting so juiced up about how amazing Sammy was and, and, you know, just watching all of that. And you got nothing. Sammy's such a big personality. You missed so bad. I think they missed the mark of, you know, we, we've already seen the last dance. of the mark. Yes. I mean, they're not even near the target. <laughs> but you had the last dance that we just watched. Mm -hmm. And then 
this is the same time frame. Yeah. You could have taken the temperature of the town. Yep. Uh, uh, okay, yes, the Bulls are coming off the championship in June. And Sammy hit 20 home runs. And guess what? In Chicago, mm-hmm. we were all about the Bulls. We weren't worried about Sammy because at that point, he had 15 home runs at the beginning of the uh, uh, month. Well, and the, there was a the thing, too, is that you got to remember when Sammy started hitting those home runs and when he got really hot, this is right at the end of the Bulls' legacy, their journey. Everyone knew it was the end. Right. They called it the last dance, which you saw in their documentary. Right. We knew that that was going to be the end. And Sammy Sosa carried that torch and took him on through the end of the year. Yes, yeah, I'm even said it so. He's like, Michael Jordan is the most popular person in Chicago, and I'm right next to him. Right, exactly. So I, I, I think you missed the mark there, ESPN. Uh, what I did do enjoy, and I went back and I watched the Sosa E60, and that had more a, of a overall coverage of who Sammy was, his upbringing, and so forth. That documentary was produced well as compared to the garbage we just watched. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it was literally garbage. Waiting a month, month and a half after they announced it to be like, all right, let's get this. And it was such a letdown. I mean, you didn't expose anything about the steroid area because mm-hmm. you don't want to talk bad about baseball because nope. it's in such a bad shape as it is right now. Right. This is what's wrong with baseball. The purist. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that. It's an unspoken rule. Screw that. Right. Screw that. Right. Make the product better. Take care of the fans. They pay the salaries for the owners and for the players. I think a big part of why we craved so much more from this documentary was, you know, you look at what Sosa brought to Chicago. You're talking about a guy that basically came out of nowhere, came from nothing, and just, you know, did his thing. Now, the one thing that I I did find funny, if you look early on in the documentary, you see Barry Bonds watch a ball go over his head. He looks pretty upset. Oh, yeah. He's like, who are these guys? Like, I'm way better than both of them. That right there, that 98 chase, I promise you, that's what led to Bonds juicing in the first place. Putting the clear on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, you see his head start to blow up and swell. And he's like, goes up, you know, 15 hat sizes and they can't find shoes for the guy. Simpsons did it again. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing is that, you know, by far, Bonds was a much better player overall over both of them through his entire career. Oh, yeah, he was a 40-40 guy. And there was no chance that he was ever going to allow McGuire's short-lived home run record to stand when he was like, watch this, watch this, guys. You think you can do that? Watch what I can do. And and now we're looking back, and, you know, the, the interesting thing is that when, when they really start getting hit hard for the steroids, their thing was, you know, we don't want kids to grow up and do steroids and, you know, all that stuff. And where are we at right now? Those those children that would have been watching Bonds and Sosa and, and McGuire, and, well, that's who's in the league now. Right. And you see a lot more natural players, and you see a lot more natural play, and you see they're really still looking for that advantage. You're looking for launch angle. You're looking for all different types of things. And it's, and it's a very interesting way to look at the difference in the play from, what, 22, 25 years ago in, in, in comparison to the way they play now. Yeah, I think the... Now, with all this technology, they're, like, trying to one-up each other. Okay, this new technology came out. I'm going to use it. Hey. <laughs> old technology. What? Let's let's bang on a trash can. That's my trash can. We got one. <laughs> uh, speaking of the Astros, I mean, th- that's been going on for years. Pe- uh, teams mm-hmm. have been stealing signs for years. They just were using technology. Yeah. And that's where the baseball peers are like, oh, you can't do it. You have to do it the old-fashioned way. I mean, there's tons of different things. I mean, they changed the elevation of the mound just because 
the pictures are but, getting but me this, advantage. This was more than dirty. This was there's a difference between oh I got some sticky stuff on my hand I can grab the bat better like when yeah. George Brett went nuts and almost killed half the <laughs> half the ups. But when you're looking at you know zooming in, I mean like this was like a Bill Belichick production out here. You know oh what I mean? God. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! And and if you know. It's it's incredible. You would think that there's no way that they wouldn't get caught. I mean, I still think that El Tuve had a buzzer under his under his. Uh, I believe there. so too. He was holding that jersey really, really tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, don't tear it off, guys. Yeah, don't it, tear it off. But let me blame my wife. It would, oh, she doesn't like. Shut up. Come on, El Tuve. And the, the the shame of it is, this is what I'll say. When we watched the Cubs rebuild and how terrible they were when they had like Darwin Barney, who looked like oh. he was 12 and he was actually 47. <laughs> You had these guys who were just like, it's a lot of who players, you yes. know? It's like, who are these guys? I've never heard of them. And then Theo came in, and oh, it's the cool guy, Starbucks and sunglasses. Here we go. And they won. And as a Cubs fan, I'm looking at the Astros, and I'm like, I'm rooting for you guys. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is worse? Okay. Here we go. The Astros or the steroids? Ooh, that's a good question. I think... The Astros is worse because mm-hmm. that was more of a systemic mm-hmm. coming from the top, from whoever was in charge and from knew one team. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know they were the Astros were one of the first teams to do, do change, overhaul the entire system, yep. and said change leagues. All yeah, yeah, that that happened too. That's why <laughs> that's when they lost to the White Sox. They had to change leagues. They went from you know their fall ball, their their uh, you know their Christmas ball, whatever you know. That season going all the way up to A, double A, triple A, to the major league. They overhauled the entire system and said, we're going to implement one system, and this is how we're going to do it. This is going to be the Astros way. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're cheating at the top, (laughs) what do you think they're learning it from? Where is the bottom? What is the bottom doing? I don't know. So, you think the steroids or, or the uh, the cheating? I would say probably the Astros because it was it was one team directly affecting the way that a championship was won. One just feel hurt a lot more, I guess, yeah. because I feel like at least with the steroids, I mean, they there've been quotes out there saying we're talking about up to seventy percent or more of the league doing the same thing. So when more Barry, of an even playing field, exactly. So when Barry Bonds hits a home run off of Roger Clemens, you're like, well, okay, well, that's why it literally went to the actual moon. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a moonshot. No, this one actually is on the moon. You can get it if you want. But I wish to have the exit velocity on those baseballs. Right, exactly. Jesus. All right, guys, we'll be right back with more. Just a word from our sponsors. Hey, guys, we're back, and we are here with uh, Jay Soto. Uh, He happens to be the producer of our show, but he also happened to work at Wrigley Field in 1998 during the home run race. How's it going, George? It's going fantastic. Awesome, awesome. Um, So, number one, what got you into working at Wrigley? Uh, Funny story, one of the security guards... Uh, I was talking to him because uh, during those times they uh, they recruited ushers from Lane Tech because it was one of the the closest high schools to Wrigley Field. Okay. So they would come in and they would do a um, a hiring fair for ushers where they would do uh, interviews inside the lunchroom, and I just so happened to talk to one of the security guards because I didn't I didn't even know what was going on, okay. and uh, so I interviewed and I ended up getting uh, one of my first jobs. As an usher at Wrigley Field. I must have missed I that like, one. I didn't see that. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I'm like, where was I? 
But I was never yeah. in the lunchroom after freshman year, so I would have not known about it. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> uh, how long did you actually work at Wrigley? Uh, I worked at Wrigley Field for five years on and off. I worked there through my uh, junior, senior year in high school and then on and off through college. Okay. And you, and you were just an usher the entire time? Yeah, I was an usher the entire time. I like the fact you could be an usher because, you know, you had access to the game. You had access to batting practice. You can come early. Uh, you were able to meet the players. So did you have a specific area that you worked? Or they kind of just put you guys wherever they needed you? No, you, you rotated. Unless you were a, a senior where you knew everybody. Like the guys that were on the field were there for years. So they always got put on the field because they knew the staff. There were there was not a lot of favoritism going on there, so they would rotate everybody. Um, they had a lot of senior ushers there, so they got the primarily like good sections repeatedly because they had been there for so many years. But any of the newbies who had only been there a couple seasons, they were constantly rotated into different areas in the tunnels, um, bathroom duty, stuff like that. But bathroom duty was just standing outside of the bathroom, you know, directing traffic making sure people weren't getting too goofy. Um, you had to work the tunnels. That's it. What was your what was your favorite section to work in? My favorite section to work in was right behind home plate because that's where all of the um, the players' families were. And you also had, like, the best shot that and the, uh, the dugout side. So I really liked working the first baseline because that's where all the action was. You know, and you would see a lot of the stars coming and sitting over there, you know, the Steve Wilkoses and all of the local celebrities would always sit along the first baseline and you would always see them there. So that was always cool to me. I just like to be where the action was. But nine times out of 10, you know, it was a roll of the dice some days. If if you were in a, in a great section on Tuesday, on Wednesday's game, you're probably going to be in the tunnel and you'll hear the crowd roar, but you weren't going to see much. What, aside from players, who is the most famous person that you've come across who you're able to meet? Oh, man, I was such a baseball junkie. Um, I, it was frowned upon, but I still have it to this day. My Because they, they gave out, uh, every, every usher had to be in uniform. So our uniforms back in the day were these really ugly white shirts with these khaki pants and a cream and green Chicago Cubs hat. That was just meant for staff. So I would, whenever I would run across somebody, um, if I had an opportunity, like for instance, the first time I met Ron Santo was amazing. That guy was, was genuine. He was really down to earth. He was flirting with the nurse constantly at the uh, first aid facility. He was always by her. You know, she was a really pretty blonde lady, but he was always going to her. She was the first person he would greet when he would come into the into the uh, into the stadium and um, meeting Ron Santo. Yeah, I got his autograph. He signed my work hat. I met um, the the big unit, Randy Johnson. Um, I met, you know, Mark Grace, Ryan Sandberg, Dusty Baker. Um, I saw all of the big time, big time players. Those were the most uh, uh, the most things that I remember. Now, they also did some special events where I was on the field right before one of the Cubs game where they had a Chubby Checker concert. You're, I don't know if, you, if everybody's familiar with who Chubby Checker <laughs> wow. is, but when, when I was a kid, my dad and my mom would play Chubby Checker. He was the guy who wrote that famous song, The Twist. Come on, baby, let's do the twist. All right, so, you know, I'm standing by home plate where the batters usually warm up and take their warm-up swings, 
and Chubby Checkers performing for everybody before the game. So that was pretty cool because I'm like, man, I'm seeing all of this. I I didn't start to to meet real uh, stars that I considered like, you know, superstars until later on in my career. But um, during my 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 baseball period where I was working at Wrigley, I got to meet just a lot, a lot of professional baseball players that, you know, I would I, I just, you know, shake my head at because it was awesome. I think. I think the biggest thing of being an usher there, the, the the most wonderful experience you can have is when you start to develop a relationship with the players after seeing them for so long, during batting practice, hanging out. Because you would go down to batting practice and they were normal people. Uh, when nobody was around, you know, they they interacted with you like you were normal. They would ask you how your day was, how's school going, kid? You know, I would get that a lot. Um, I remember there was a pitcher who wasn't, he wasn't an all-star caliber pitcher. His name was Dan Serafini. Um, but Dan Serafini took a liking to me. And every time I would see him at batting practice, he'd come up and talk to me. And, um, you know, when I was going away to college, I told him, oh, you know, I think this might be my last, uh, my last season. And he's like, you know, really? Why? What's going on? He's like, I told him I I was going away to college. And then the next game that I saw him, he gave me an autographed baseball from all of the pitching staff and said, you know, good luck in college, kid, you know. And, yeah, so, like, that was um, that was pretty gnarly, just being able to see that. And then, you know, during that whole home run race uh, with uh, with Sammy and Mark McGuire, uh, early on in the season, it was, it was pretty crazy because before this all happened, he was still a polarizing figure in Chicago sports. Right. He was just that dude, you know, on the north side, Sammy Sosa. You know, everybody knew where he lived downtown because of the blue ring on the top of the building on Harbor Drive. Everybody knew, you know, he was the the talk of the town, right? So, So interacting with him on the field was really cool because he was a jokester. And just seeing him interact with the rest of the guys, he was really loved in the clubhouse. Um, he was always he was always one to crack a lot of dirty jokes when nobody was looking, um, and he was just a funny guy. Um, but he was just a normal dude who was jacked and could knock the leather off of a baseball. So that was one of the coolest things that I remember from that whole experience: just being able to meet the players and get to know them on a different di- on a different tier than what the average fan would experience. So, yeah. is what's the most memorable moment that you have from a game where Sammy hit a home run? Every single one. I would sit. Once we, once we got mid-season, guys, it was, it was something else because you would just see. It, it, it's like in the documentary, if you watch the 30 for 30, when they talk about um, how St. Louis fans would just anticipate each swing of the bat from McGuire being a home run, it was the same thing at Wrigley. You know, before even uh, when the pitcher would first set up, as soon as Sammy would take that that foot and place it forward, before he would come back to engage his swing, you would see the lights just start to flicker. And it was just a a, a magnitude of flashes everywhere with every swing, whether it was going to be a strike, whether it was going to be a ball, whether he was going to pop out. It was like the anticipation was just immense. But the one cool thing that I remember was I was sitting on the first base side and I was watching Sosa at the plate and I was talking to one of the one of the season ticket holders and I'm like, I'm like, all right, 
he's got really good numbers against this pitcher. And if you watch, he's going to favor his right-hand side. I'm calling this one, third swing, it's going to be a home run. And the, kid, and the guy's like, kid, you're crazy. I said, watch it. He's got his number. And no lie, two pitches later, out the park. It's just when you are able to see somebody swing so consistently and watch their patterns and watch how, how they set up, you can tell when they're hot. I mean, because that was the coolest thing about it. I would just sit in batting practice and watch him just rock him out of the park. Him and Glenn Allen Hill would just sit there and just... And Glenn Allen Hill, everybody knows, he was all top-heavy. He was hitting home runs with his forearms. That dude had... Yeah. Huh? Yeah, but he his his forearms were the size of red oak trees. Like, that dude was just all top-heavy. He was not bottom-heavy. He didn't have big quads. He didn't have, you know, a, a, a big uh, rear end to sit and generate power. It was all... It was all chest and forearms, like he was Popeye on, on roids, so to speak, because that dude was enormous. Um, but I would just sit there and watch them, and then you learn how they swing. And, you know, you could just, you could just predict when that home run was coming. You could just feel it. And that's one of the biggest things that I remember. So during that time, while you're kind of um, in the stands being usher, kind of doing your thing, did you ever really overhear murmurs or people talking about, you know, hey, these guys are jacked up, they, you know, they're all juiced up? Not at all. Not at all. I think back then we were all um, we were all blind to the fact of what was going on because there was so little regulation as far as what players were able to take and what they weren't able to take. So we didn't really give it a second thought. Because we're like, you know, they're professional baseball players. Whatever they're doing, if if they're not being tested for it, why would why would we even question it? Um, but a lot of people don't realize that Sosa from 97 and 98, he made some really big mechanical changes to his swing. And if you notice, there was a big uptick on how he was swinging. So in 98, he came out swinging for the fences and he was making better contact. He was sitting back on the ball. He wasn't putting his weight forward. And he started to drive the ball even deeper. So, you know, back then with all the changes, the way that it was going on, could he have been taking something he wasn't supposed to? Surely anybody could have. I mean, we had Jose Canseco. We had Mark McGuire, you know. I mean, we had A-Rod. We had all of these dudes who were juicing. But what can we really say to somebody if we have no physical proof and they weren't even testing for it back then? So... You know, I, I honestly don't think I think you can you can give a, a bodybuilder a million steroids and he'll win a bodybuilding competition. But just because you just because you have a, a baseball player or a basketball player and he, he he uses steroids doesn't mean his jump shots going to improve. Doesn't mean he's going to have that better hand eye coordination to be able to no, to it's not the junk out of leather. It's not gonna improve so there's a lot more factors involved, you know. Yeah, the, the skill level is not going to improve at all. Steroids is what it's going to do is it, if you're a basketball player, then your basketball muscles are going to improve and you're going to recover at a faster rate. And so instead of being sore for three to four days, you're going to be sore for 24 to 36 hours. Mm -hmm. But as far as skill, especially like in baseball where you have to hit a ball, recognize it coming out of the pitcher's hand, make the adjustment and go through your swing and still be able to knock it out of the park, I mean, that is a skill as tough as golf is. 
I mean, you've got to be able to drive right. the ball. Got to have have an eye for it. You got to have all these uh, hand-eye coordination, just uh, your footwork. Everything has to be in coordination for you to strike a ball and get it out of the ballpark. I mean, it looks easy. Absolutely. But it's not. Absolutely. So aside from let's take Sammy out of it, let's take McGuire out of it. Give me your most memorable home run by a cup other than those or other than Sammy and your most memorable home run by any other player that's not McGuire. And it has to be during my working, my, the era when I was working at Wrigley Field? Not necessarily, no. Okay, because my most memorable was the was Javi's first home run. I was there for Javi's first home run. I was always a big fan since they drafted him. Um, not trying to be a homer because, you know, he's Puerto Rican. And, you know, we're very prideful about that. What? But You're Puerto Rican? I, I always saw something. I always saw something really special in that kid. Um, so... You know, I, 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 I saw when they first drafted him and he was coming up in the minors. And when I found out he was a natural lefty, but he was swinging right-handed and playing right-handed and he was naturally ambidextrous, I was like, this kid's going to be a problem because he has, pro he has so much power and he has so much balance, which is very, it, it's, it's not very common. So, you know, being able to see Javi uh, Baez's very first home run um, after he was called up, uh, that was pretty killer. What about a non but, um, a non Cubs player or yeah? Non Cubs player? Um, it was it. You know, it's hard to to not uh, think about everybody that that was there. Um, you know, when I was working there, it was you know interleague play wasn't really a thing. It wasn't nothing. You know, we would always you know anticipate those. Uh, those matchups of what it would be like if the Yankees came back to Chicago, you know, like a World Series matchup. But back then in 1998, 99, none of that stuff was really even, uh, that was that was just starting to hit the forefront and we didn't get to see any of those marquee matchups as much as we would have wanted. Um, but just seeing, seeing the rivalries, um, seeing Barry Bonds hit, Jesus, that dude, that dude was... Uh, Amazing, but <laughs> my funniest memory uh, was uh, walking, walking the manager of the Cubs, walking Dusty Baker into Wrigley Field and trying to be optimistic. And uh, <laughs> I was like, it's going to be a good day today. He's like, we bleeping suck, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what year was I was this? like, it's going to be all right. He was because they had just gotten the brakes beat off of him the game before. And uh, he just came in in a bad mood and he was like, uh, we bleeping suck, kid. And I was just like, this is funny, you know, but just to be able to see those interactions, you know, I'll tell you what, though, the intimidation factor was real. I was more into the pitching. So when I would see Randy Johnson come up to pitch, that was intimidating because that dude, I mean, for those people that knew me through through high school, I was a short. I mean, if I was if I was jumping over five feet, that was saying a lot because um, <laughs> I was I just super short. So so, you know, but, you know, when I uh, was walking through the tunnel and they asked me to walk Randy Johnson out, I was like I felt like I was staring at a at a at a, at a tree. So I but. Uh, I do want to circle. I do want to circle back 
to uh, to Sammy because you know now that he's come up again, we had the uh, the documentary that just aired, which you know you had to fight sleep to get all the way through it, um, and it was basically like we we said before, it was the Mark McGuire show with a cameo from Sammy Sosa. I don't I don't necessarily think that they really captured what it felt like that year to watch that home run race between the two. Um, you know, now looking back, we kind of know the players that were involved in the, um, the steroid era. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have Giambi, we have Bonds, we have uh, Roger Clemens, and we have right. Mark McGuire that we know for sure. And right. when they found... The um, I think it was the Andro. They yeah. they found that sitting on the shelf in um, in McGuire's locker. In his locker. They asked Sammy about it, and uh, he did have something to say about it. Well, I don't have nothing to do with that because I never used that, that, those those kind of stuff. So this question is not for me. I think. So now you know. Even then, he denied it. He says I. It's not something that I ever did. He, for years and years, said, I've never tested positive. I've never tested positive. You won't see it. Then, I think it was in 09 in the New York Times article, he was named. It was a leaked article. He was named in the uh, investigation. But, yes, he has never tested positive as far as we know. And this past Monday, he was on Sports Talk Live with David Kaplan, and he actually said, no, I've never taken anything. You didn't see anybody in the locker room injecting me. Looking back now, do you believe that to be true? And what's your perception of Sammy after the fact, after all this has come out? Um, I, In all honesty, I feel bad for Sammy Sosa because he was such a pivotal part of Chicago sports history and he continuously gets the short end of the stick. I think that was even made more prominent in the documentary in the 30 for 30 series because, you know, you saw him going toe to toe and, you know, he was, the pressure was on McGuire. And, you know, even when he got to 66, I remember, I remember those, um, those previous um, at bats where he got 62, 63 and 64 and he earned everything that he, that, that he, uh, that he received, but he didn't earn all of the criticism that he received because he was, he was always, you never heard anything bad about the guy. You never heard about him being a bad influence on the locker room. You never heard him up until the 2004 series where he walked out on the uh, last game of the year where he, you know, he, yeah, um, that was a little different. That's when their relationship had run the course. Um, but up until then, like the guy was was a solid athlete for the Cubs. Now, granted, there were some things that that uh, left a black eye on him, like the corked bat. Um, I can't say nothing about that. The corked bat is the corked bat. Um, but as far as steroid use goes, you got you can't you got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt because he was never proven guilty. All right, guys, we'll be right back with more. Just a word from our sponsors. That is, uh, that's Jay Sutto. He's actually the newest member of two Chicago sports fans, and he will be producing our podcast here. So uh, it was great to talk to you and appreciate all your insights about uh, that 98 season and just your experiences with the Cubs overall. Thanks, guys. And if you want any autographs, just make sure the check's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, Jay. 
All right, guys. All right, take, take care. care. All right, we got breaking news from MLB. Opening day between July 15th and 20th. Full prorated salaries. 16-team playoff. Did I say that right? 16-team playoff Five format teams. for this year and next year, for 20 and 21. Universal DH this year. A geographic schedule. Both sides agreed to no grievances. Games played would be between 60 and 70. The regular season would end at the end of September, on September 27th. And then the World Series would end around the regular time, late October, early November. So this is what is on the table. And both sides look like it's going to be agreed upon. We're just waiting for the confirmation. What do you think, Eddie? I mean, it sounds like we're actually going to have baseball. Um, at least that's what they're telling us. Uh, how, how much do I... Um, how much optimism do I have? I don't know. I mean, we heard a couple weeks ago that... Last hey, week, today. That, well, we heard basketball was ready to go. Oh, yeah, now it's not. And now they're like, well, but, you know... And I'm like, it, it's it's frustrating. We keep hearing, we're on, we're off. We're on, we're off. And then we hear from one guy who says, well, I don't know. And then now we worry about, are the stars going to play... You know, there's certain guys that are you might be immunocompromised. You have John Lester who went through cancer. You have Anthony Rizzo, Rizzo who went yes. through cancer. You have Chris Bryant who has a newborn baby at home. Right. You know, you have a lot of different circumstances. And you're talking about a league that has so many players, you know, and, and they're coming from so many different places. I mean, you got to think how many players – yes, we were in spring training, but – once everything started going down, you knew that like Ian Happ stayed in Arizona and rented a house because he talked about it. He made his own podcast all about it. Oh wow! And then you might have you know other players from Dominican or Cuba. They're like, no, nah, I'm going home, man. Like I'm not sticking around here. Right. So who knows where they are? I mean, there's. I think there's still a lot of red tape that we're going to have to go through to figure out if this is really going to happen. Yeah, I don't know about this geographic schedule. I mean, okay, let's say. They put the Cubs and the White Sox and, you know, the Brewers and Cardinals all, all in their same division. You still got to fly. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are not going to take a, a bus and travel five, no. six hours. No. They're going to take a plane and they take commercial planes unless the owners are going to pony up, which we know they won't, no. for a private jet. See, what we don't know right now is... What does geographic schedule mean? I mean, are they, are they really just talking about kind of making bubble areas where the, the teams that are closest to each other are going to play each other? Right. Or are we talking about what they originally were saying is that, well, maybe we'll kind of almost keep it like spring training, kind of the way that NBA is doing it, where they're all going to play in the middle of Disneyland. Right. You know, so Disney is there, everything going to be in Florida? I mean, Florida just had a huge spike. Florida, Texas, right. California, Nevada, all, the, all those states that opened up super early have a huge spike as of today, why would you send the players to those locations? Well, it, it's getting to a point where, you know, you still have players that have to pay bills. I mean, you oh, definitely. To, we can talk about millionaires and billionaires all you want, but think about this. Let's say that you make 50 grand a year. You know how much force, how much house you can afford. You know how much car you can afford. And based on that, based on your salary, that's what you buy. But you're also not getting 50 grand on Jan 1 and then 50 grand on next Jan 1 and so on and so forth. By the same tokens, players are not getting $4.5 million in June 1st. And, you know, and and they get a paycheck just like everyone else. Yes. So 
even though you're like, well, you have so much money. I earn so much money. That doesn't mean I have it just sitting there waiting. That money's got to go towards something. So if you get someone that is coming from nothing, low income from a different country, and, you know, they're, you know, basically their parents were turd farmers and they came from nothing. <laughs> I mean, that a lot of that money is going back home. A lot of that money is spent already. So it's not like they have the money just sitting around. So, you know, we can talk about like, oh, but you have so much money. No, I earn a lot more money than you do, but I still have to pay the bills and I have to supplement that income. So I think that's a big part of the thing that's going on with why the players want to play so bad. Versus, obviously, you know, if you play a sport, you love it, you keep showing up because you love it. Right. Um, otherwise, you just retire and be like, whatever. Which a lot of the older players might do. Right, right. And because, you know, they're like, well, I've already made my money. Why do I need to keep playing? Why am I going to risk my life or the life of my loved ones? Right. You know what I mean? And, and if you're talking about an older player, more than likely, they have, if their parents are still around, they have older parents who are going to be more susceptible um, to anything they might catch anyway. I mean, like, you know, you got to think about how how much MLB players travel in general, how much movement they're going through. You get three nights in a city, you get four nights in a city, and you're off, and you're gone, and you're off, and you're gone. You know, and, and you got so many more games. So you're talking about a much more, uh, a much bigger flow of fans that are coming through and interacting with the stadium and interacting with the ushers and interacting and interacting and interacting. Well... You're more susceptible as it is. Now, we know we're, we're, there's little to no chance we're going to have any fans. I mean, unless we're talking about Texas, who's already talked about opening up everything because it's not. Texas. Um, and that's how they do things down there. You know, they, they love guns and, and we're the best at everything. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. You know, I mean, it's basically like if Yosemite Sam was a state, it'd be Texas. That's just what it is. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a big risk. And I think the interesting thing is that figuring out, hey, do you guys feel safe playing? Because I promise you, there's going to be some guys out there that already made a ton of money. They're going to be like, I mean, that's cool, but I already have a bunch of money. I don't need the whatever prorated salary that you're going to give me. I can survive on what I already made. No. If they opt out, do they get paid? No. No. I mean, I would guess that they're, they're not going to get paid because I don't see... I think that's the same thing as going on in the NBA. You can opt out, but we, we, we're not going to give you any money. I mean, you got to think... A lot of what you hear from the owners is them talking about financial loss, financial loss. There's a difference between loss and loss of revenue. Right. Loss of revenue means I'm not going to make as much as I did last year. Correct. Loss is I'm going to make negative. I'm going to go backwards. There's right. a big difference between those two. And they got to figure out where they want um, to draw that, draw that line as far as how much can we afford to pay, quote unquote? And, you know, I'm not sticking up for either side, but I would assume, just because that's what I'll do in this scenario, okay. that the billionaires probably have more equity built up because they own property and they have, you know, I mean, look at look at what has happened to Wrigley over the past 10 years. Like, where did that money come from? Well, I see that, but what I'm, what I'm looking at is there's only one owner mm -hmm. that's made their money by owning a team, and that's been the Yankees, the Steinbrenner family. Yeah. Every, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every other owner had has, money coming in. Had money from something else, right. another business. Right. Whether it's the Ricketts from the Rickett family and whatever they own and whatever they do, because they're in everything, <laughs> apparently. Um, I mean, you got, you know, Disney, 
uh, one time owned the, I don't know if they still do, owned the, the Angels. Uh, yeah. You know, they were yeah. part of the ABC family. They were, you know, Mickey Mouse. That's right. Uh, Angel, Angels in the outfield, yeah. Right. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you got the uh, the Cubs, who are, again, by the Ricketts, and you have the White Sox, who are owned by uh, a number of people. It's just that you have Reinsdorf, that who has a majority ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the face of that. But he earned his money somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can just keep going on and on. So these are businessmen mm-hmm. and Think there's, I don't think there's a woman, a woman that's an owner. Nah, I don't think I don't outright. Think so. no. I, don't think outright. I know Laura Ricketts is part of the Ricketts group or the family, but right, but the not face, a... the face of the family as far as the ownership group is definitely Tom Ricketts. I mean, you see him at the games. I have a, yeah. I have a selfie I took with him, like you know, in twenty thirteen or whatever it was year. Okay. And I, I remember that distinctly because I was in the stands and I see him walking around. And I'm like, hey Ricketts, and when he turned around, he got and I caught his attention when I went up to him. I was like. Um, hi, uh, excuse me, Mr. Ricketts, would you like to take a picture with me? <laughs> it's, it's, a big, it's a big difference when you're yelling at a distance and you get up close. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting scenario. I'm very skeptical. I just don't think the owners are saying, it was, the owners are like, I don't want to pay money out of my pocket. Right, right. I want to use the money that comes in. Right. To pay you guys. And, and since money's not coming in, and, I don't want to pay you. And they've said that several times. I mean... We've heard the Ricketts come out and say, well, you know, 70% of the revenue that, that pays for the player's salary comes from game day sales, from concessions, from so tickets. Parking. Yeah, so everything so that forth. they get to keep. The only thing that the that MLB uh, teams don't get to keep is the share revenue, which is part uh, from tickets. Mm-hmm. So anything outside of tickets, which includes the suites, which includes the rooftops, yep. which includes parking, nachos, beverages, all that is their revenue. Is are the rooftops even still a thing? I mean, they I, own most of them. I think they own ninety nine percent of. Them. I think they got one that's not part it, of their group. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since I've been, but they did a really good job of obstructing the view as much as possible up on those rooftops. Uh, and then they bought the building. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I mean, so are we gonna? Are we actually gonna see baseball, or is this just another, you know, carrot in front of the fans to say, "Hey, come and get it, come and get it, get us excited about it." I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll get excited when I see on my TV schedule Cubs and Cards playing this Saturday, Cubs and White Sox playing, whoever it is. I mean, that's going to be great because if we're in the same division, right? that, that's, that inner killer. city rivalry is yeah. going to heat up. Absolutely, absolutely. Because instead of playing three games a year, now we're going to play 12 to 15. Well, the, the one thing I'll say about the Sox coming into this year as a Cubs fan, Cubs fans might not like to hear this, but I will say I was absolutely excited to see what they were going to do, what their potential was. I mean, a lot of people build them as, you know, this, their version of the 2015 Cubs, where, where no one, they were like, well, hey, they got some good pieces. We got some young guys. Let's see what you can really do, you know, and that's, I, that's where we kind of lined it up. But again, here come the baseball gods, and here comes the COVID god, and here comes <laughs> oh, all the craziness that the comes along with us. That says, hey, you guys look like you might be having a good time. Let's cut that out. When's the last time that happened? 94. 1994. Hey, you guys are looking really good. <laughs> oh, man. How about... Uh, Jack uh, McDowell, that, Frank Thomas, uh-huh. Ron Ventura. Oh, that, my God. That, that steak tastes really good, don't it? <laughs> oh, you're about halfway through? Now, I'm, I'm going to take that. You, you don't get that steak anymore. This is my steak now. 
And also, I'm just going to throw it in the trash. <laughs> like, nobody gets the steak anymore, you know? Yeah. No so, more steak for you. No, not at all. So, I mean, it, it, I, I'll say, like I said, I'm skeptical. You could say I'm cautiously optimistic. But, I mean, you know, I'm getting to the point where, you know, I, I mean... Do I, do I have to watch start watching NASCAR to get my sports fix? I've been watching that. <laughs> like, I, don't know. I might watch. What is it? What's the? Uh, There's like the tennis tournament in New York. Yeah. Is it the? I don't know. One of those. Yeah. The, the, the tennis guys. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna have to watch that. Yeah. I mean, if I'll tell you what, if I turn on the TV and it's like you know seven in the morning and I get up to use the bathroom and I come back and I'm like, oh, tennis is on. I'm like, Maybe I'll watch it. And that's where I get. But I mean, you know, um, we know that, especially here in Chicago, um, we're so engulfed and so like entrenched in our local sports teams. I mean, we are extremely passionate about the Cubs, the Sox, the Bulls, the Bears, the Hawks. I mean, you know, and we still, we're, we're such a big city that we can still have the Chicago sky and the Chicago dogs. And the Chicago Fire and the Chicago Red Stars, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but we have professional sports all over Chicago. And I think you forgot the ladies' lingerie league. Well, I think I think they the failed. bliss, right? They were the bliss. Is that, is that yeah, they were the bliss. Is that still going? I, don't I mean, I don't know. Since the internet, people forgot about that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we're so in love with our sports here that it, it almost feels like it's a do or die thing. It's like, guys. Either do something or stop teasing me. Yes. I'm done with it. I mean, like, you know, you get that ex-girlfriend that keeps coming back. And you're like, oh, you know, look at me. I'm like, no, man. Like, either, either you're coming back or you're not. And just just tell us when it's happening. Either, you either poop or get off the pot. That's exactly right. I, mean, I, clean, exactly I cleaned right. it up. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be right back with more. Just a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, uh, we're going to transition over to uh, our last topic of the day, and it is steroids and the players that were caught taking steroids. Hall of Fame? I'm sorry. They got to be They got to be put in. I mean, these guys were all-stars before. Mm -hmm. They were said taking steroids, quote-unquote. They were still all-stars before that. Mm -hmm. Did their numbers jump up afterwards? Yeah. But if 70% of the league was taking steroids, mm -hmm. it's almost a plain, even playing field. I mean, you look at guys like Barry Bonds, who was an obvious Hall of Famer before he mm -hmm. ever took the clear and did, you know, got the, the Balco and all this other stuff. He was a clear Hall of Famer. And I honestly think, I mean, if you look at the very beginning of the, uh, the documentary with uh, McGuire and Sosa, you do see Bonds watch that ball go over his head and he's so salty. He's like, these, man, I'm so much better than these guys. And like I said earlier, he's like, I'm going to watch, watch me take this from them. And I, I think it was just pure jealousy why he took it. Because he was like, why am I not getting the attention that I need? Oh, yeah. I mean, you had, you had all these guys that were, that were involved. You got Mike Piazza. You got A-Rod. You had Big Poppy. You have all these guys that, that people still love and, and you know, that, that put up the numbers. And... I think that if you really go back in history and look at who's in the Hall of Fame, there's a lot of questionable guys that are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, and, and it's very interesting when you look at, you know, these records that we hold so dear. And I think it's just because we can remember these records because, 
I mean, you look at what baseball is, and it's essentially an individual sport that's essentially disguised as a team sport. So we focus so much on these individuals. I mean, you can be a fan of, you know, the Astros and not be a fan of so-and-so, you know what I mean? And that's just how how it is, you know? So, I mean, it's baseball is also very interesting because it's, it's such a localized sport that you feel like anybody who's a fan of another team is just against your team. And that's because when you watch so many games, you're used to your local announcers who are going to gas you up. Yeah, they're homers. And then what happens is now you're on Saturday afternoon baseball, and here comes Joe Buck, and they're like, oh, Joe Buck hates my team. Why does Joe Buck hate your team? Well, you know, uh, he didn't hype up the guy that's my favorite player. And I'm like, okay, but... And he's also hyping up the other team, too. That's his job. Like he's supposed to get you excited about everyone on the field. So, you know, we're so entrenched in the way that we think about baseball that you hold on to these records so dear. And that's the big problem that people have, especially the purists. That's the problem that they have with allowing these steroid guys in the Hall of Fame. There's no reason that they don't belong in the Hall of Fame. You can say they cheated baseball, but they resurrected baseball. And baseball let them do what they needed to do to bring the sport back. Bud Selig sat back with his feet on his desk and said, I, I, I know something going on, but uh, hey, look at this thing over here. Pay attention to this. Don't look over there. Pay attention to this thing. And that's a, a big problem because you can't sit there and chastise someone when you allowed it to happen. It's one thing if you told them not to do it, and then they did it anyway, and you didn't test for it. There was no testing until, what, 03? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. There is no reason... These are the guys that, like I said before, built up a generation of players that got interested in baseball that are playing right now. These are the current players who are playing in your league, and that's who they looked up to. Can't argue with that. Now, the only thing that I'm thinking about, which you said about the baseball purist, is no one knew Roger Maris even existed. Everyone said Babe Ruth was a home run king, home run king. But then if you looked up all the stats, you're like, who is this Roger Maris kid? Right. The reason I found out is because I watched the movie 61. <laughs> yep. I mean, Billy Crystal did an amazing job putting that movie together, and the acting's great, and they tell a good story. But I didn't know who Roger Maris was before that. It's similar to the same thing that McGuire was going through exactly. when, when he had all this pressure on him because he's sitting there and the mics are in his face. He, The way that I looked at McGuire was for... You know, that two-year span, if you want to count 97, because that's when that kind of, that's when the pressure really started, because you saw everyone saying, well, he can beat Maris' record, he can beat Maris' record. Well, once it really started coming down to it, you could see that he was more of a reserved guy. When he was in Oakland, you had the Bash Brothers, you know, he had Conseco, and Conseco was that guy that's going to take that shine off of you, oh, yeah. you know? And he didn't have that when he came to St. Louis. I mean, he was, he was in, the man. And he was the guy. And his St. Louis is like, St. Louis has nothing else going on. You got the blues. But, I mean, Cardinals is, is everything in St. Louis, you know. And, Size Bush uh, and Hazard Bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was the guy there. And he had just got there. And he had so much pressure on him. There was so much built up that he was basically too famous to enjoy it. You know, at least for that short time. I mean, Jordan went through this pretty much, you know, most of his career where, you know, like like we did in the, the first uh, podcast, you know, you, you talked about it, uh, Nikolai, and he's talking about, 
you know, his best, uh, Jordan's best friends were the security guards. And that's and, how he knew. And they were much stuff. older. And they, and they were way older than him. But it was just. That was his posse. There was the most anonymous people that he could be around that were going to kind of shield him from all this stuff. So I really think that McGuire having Soso around when they did the interviews and things like that, that was huge for McGuire because he had someone else to take some of that shine away. Sammy had no pressure on him whatsoever. Oh, no. You know? Not at all. So, I mean, you know, you hear from Sammy and you know that in his heart he wants to be in the Hall of Fame. He'll say, well, you know, I'm good either way. I mean, you might have been good that year that you didn't win the, the race. If you play baseball, there's a couple things that you want. One, you want to make it to the major leagues. Yep. Your second is you want to have a successful career and make some money. Mm-hmm. Your third is probably playing the World Series, being a champion. And the last thing is you want to be remembered by your legacy in Cooperstown. Yep, absolutely. And you hear Sosa talk about, well, I'm good. And, you know, you know that in his heart, he wants to be in the Hall of Fame. He wants to be recognized. You can tell from watching documentaries about Sosa, he is extremely self-conscious. And you can see that to this day, because now you see with the skin bleaching that's going on with him, you know, a lot of people want to sit there and make fun of him. I've seen it when he first kind of started doing it, and his skin was raw and pink, yeah. and and he wore that that outfit, for, which was a bad idea. Right. But he he did look like a bottle of Pepto Bismol. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, you know, but but the thing is, is that you know where he's from, the color of your skin dictates the way that people look at you. So even though you're rich and famous and you hit all these home runs and you're a national hero, you still have black skin. And where Sammy's from. It's actually an epidemic. I mean, my family comes from Jamaica, and that's an epidemic down there, too. Skin bleaching is a real thing. And it comes from a societal class concept. The lighter your skin, the better of a person you are. Yeah, it, you're, the higher the status you have. Right. And it's... So, and, and that, so you look at Sammy from the very beginning, you know, when his humble beginnings when he was talking about having holes in his shoes and holes in his clothes. And then now when you see him on the, like, we, we just kind of went over that E60. He's sharp. He's clean. He's got a beautiful wife and beautiful kids and his house looks nice and all this stuff. And he's got his, slick you know, back hair. Slick back Jerry No more Jerry Curl. Curl. That's no more Jerry Curl. You know, I mean. No more so, soul glue. Right, right. And, you know, he, you know, he doesn't look like he's sweating all the time. Yeah. He's very concerned with appearance, and and like I said, people people want to clown him for for doing what he did to himself, and you know he's like, well, I, you know, I put a little lotion. I was like, you know, you put a lot of lotion, you put lotion and Clorox, and it's called Clorox, right? Right, but I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like that's a societal thing, and I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people where he comes from that look at him as a much higher having a much higher status because yes. he did that, you know. Yes. So I mean, you can't tell me that Sammy Sosa does not want to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you could tell every time you talk to him about Wrigley, about baseball, it hurts. Oh, It hurts him. You carry a franchise for so many years, yep. and then they're like, well, you did one bad thing. Mm-hmm. We don't want to acknowledge you ever existed. Right. And, which is bizarre because you got McGuire back in baseball. Yes, you do. Bonds. Barry Bonds in 2010. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2010. He was already back in baseball, like yeah. a hitting coach or whatever yeah, it is. Started as a head coach. You know, and, and um, I, I really think that you missed out on a big opportunity because you could have had ESPN Deportes with Sosa. Yeah. And he would have been a fantastic host. He, Sammy Sosa had the charisma of a guy who would have been great for these uh, Latin American players that came into the, into the league 
you know, fresh and raw and stuff like that. And, and you know, you, you get a lot of these guys that are flashy as it is. As it is. I mean, you, you know. Who, who's the, uh, the main guy? Yeah, he's on regular ESPN. Is it Eduardo Perez? Eduardo Perez, yep. The guy's amazing. Yep, yep. Bilingual, he played. You got, even here in Chicago, Ozzy mm-hmm. messed up in, in Florida. Says some things he should not said Mm-mm. about the Cuban people. He's been blackballed, not even given an opportunity to interview. Yeah, he's 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 not in baseball. You've seen him here and there. Well, like he sprinkled works, in. Well, he works for Fox, right? But I mean, not to the extent that he should be. He works for ESPN Deportes here and there, uh, calling games. He also works for uh, uh, what was it? Uh, NBC Sports now. Mm-hmm. It used to be Comcast Sports, whatever. It's NBC yeah, NBC Sports, Sports yeah. So, no, he's on there, you know, for post games and stuff like that. Sammy could have took the same route and went, right. you know what? I'm out of Chicago. I'll take a couple of years. You know what? Let me get back in into the limelight and, and correct the image that I messed up. Sammy could have been post-career Big Poppy before Big Poppy. Exactly. Was. You know, exactly that. he had the smile. He had the charisma. He had the style. I mean, like everyone knew, everyone knew him. I mean, Sammy Sosa became an international superstar. I mean, he had a he had a, a Pepsi campaign. Yeah. You know, I mean, like everybody knew who Sammy Sosa was. And Clinton, he, and Clinton put him on the uh, inaugural yep. address. He sure. You had Clinton. You had George Bush talk about how it was his biggest mistake. Yeah. Training Sosa. Well, I mean, he's got more base. mistakes. Yeah, but I, well, <laughs> as a baseball, you know, it, it, but that was in the, it was in the debate. Yeah. So it's not like everyone knew who Sammy Sosa was, and it was just and and, and he's even said, if everyone was doing it, why do me and Mark McGuire take the blame for it? And he's not wrong. But the the fact of the matter remains is you guys at the time were the two biggest faces. And you guys were the ones trying to break the record of a guy who... There's your problem. Yep. Yep. There's your problem right that's, there. That's it right there. You're, you're, you're tarnishing Babe Ruth. Yeah, well, you charge, well, you're char- tarnishing you know, the legacy. Yeah, the legacy of Babe Ruth, you know, because these purists are still hanging on to Babe Ruth's <laughs> right. shoelaces. Right. Uh, <laughs> they're not saying nothing about Maris. They're worried about Babe Ruth and the old way and the unspoken rules again. You know what? It's all garbage. Either you play clean, you play this way, or you play dirty, and you what? You shouldn't be in the game. Ty Cobb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there is terrible people. Yeah, Terrible, terrible. racist, awful yes. people. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yep, yep. But see, the thing is, is that when you talk to baseball peers, they're able to separate what happened off the field. And what happened on the field? On okay. the field, he was a great player. He did this, that, and so on and so forth. Off the field, total scumbag. Pete Rose. <laughs> well, Pete, yeah, hey, Pete, it's Pete off Rose. the field. Well, it's off the field. Yeah, I mean. But did it, well, we don't know, did it impact right. the winning? Right. And I get that. Right. And I mean, same thing with the, with the Black Sox. You know, they threw the World Series. Right. I get that. You gambled, you're thrown out of baseball, we don't want you in. Right. I get that. But you have players who have domestic violence, yep. domestic abuse. Yep. I mean, he was your closer. Yep. He sure was. He you sure was. You signed him. Yep. There's, there's no arguing that stuff. But like I said, you know, when you talk about baseball purists in general, there's going to be a much less harsh punishment for what you've done off the field because that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Are you messing with our records? 
I mean, like, you look at what Hank Aaron did and all the death threats that he got back oh in the day. Oh, God. You know what I mean? J- Jackie Robinson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're messing with our game. You know, <laughs> you know that that's what it comes down to. So, I mean, if you ask me, I would absolutely say that these guys belong in the Hall of Fame because you can't, you, you can't erase what actually happened. I mean, you could take whatever you want. It doesn't make you hit the ball. It helps you recover. Yes, it, it helps you build muscle. You you know you could see the biggest guy on the field and he can't hit a lick. You still have to hit the ball and you have to hit it in a way that it goes out of the park. Right. And that's how that record is is broken. Okay. So let, let me bring up this point. You have Cal Ripken, the Iron Man, played at what he played six thousand games. <sighs> Too many for me to count. <laughs> I mean, I lost count. So. He played with broken bones, mm-hmm. being sore, all this stuff. I mean, could his career have been better if he'd taken steroids? Health-wise. I would assume so. I mean, you could recover faster. You, you know, get a little stronger. You don't get injured as much. I mean, you got to think about the fact that this is the guy who played through everything, which is a complete anomaly. I mean, you think about yeah, it now. not going to happen. It's again. never going to happen Frank ever. Thomas was second, and yeah. then he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's never going to happen again because... You know, these guys, like, you know... Yeah, it's all load management now. Oh, 100%. Because everything's on analytics. Yes, yeah, exactly. And then you have you have a complete shift in the way that you're, you're changing your lineup every day. You know, you look at the way that Madden did his lineup for the past couple years, and, well, this guy's an idiot because why doesn't he play this, this, and this, and this? And how come, you know, we can't figure out who's going to be our leadoff guy? And, you know, you should play this guy every day no matter what. And I'm like... Playing matchups. That's exactly what they're doing. Well, you know, Javi has a lower percentage against uh, uh, lefties than whoever, and that's how I'm going to play it. But Javi should play every day. I, I mean, I think Javi should play every but day. But how are you supposed to get better if you don't put him in there against a lefty? That's exactly right. That's uh, exactly right. So what? Not now you're only going you go can only play against righties. I mean, I mean, but it's a major league ball player, you should get better. But we're also talking about the fact that it really does come down to the fact that this is a business. Mm-hmm. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure we win that game that day. Makes and sense. we're throwing a lot of records out of the, out the window completely, you know. And, that's you know, it's one of those baseballs littered with all these unspoken rules that people hold on to. And, and that's just what it is. You know, you don't hear about this stuff. When, when football changes, you know, when you're looking at uh, the difference between running backs, meaning everything for your for your team, and now we're like, Hey, running backs are a dime a dozen, even though you got some dominant running backs. I mean, you, you know, you go to draft on uh, draft day in the NFL, some uh, GMs shy away from drafting that great running back who was great, you know, in, in college and things like that. And you're like, you could be the next big thing, but. You got too many miles on them. Well, well, not just that, but in a couple of years, I'm going to have to pay you. And yeah. I don't, don't want to pay a running back anymore. No. So now what do you do? I mean, you look at how many running backs in the, in the past couple of years have been thrown by the wayside, you know, so. It's it's, but we accept that as fans that the game has changed. We accept that basketball, for the most part, I mean, we don't like to see people flop around like you know fish out of water, but LeBron. But um, you know, we accept for the fact, for the most part, that yeah, the game's changed. I mean, I I, I really enjoy watching Seth and Clay and, and and the Warriors, you know, Splash Brothers, and you know, shoot it from the moon and all that. Like, it's, it's great. You know, we, we're we're watching the evolution of sports. But when it comes down to baseball, it's hard to accept this stuff. And I, I really, one of the things that it comes down to is, 
you're talking about 162 games a season, okay? So basically, you're watching this constantly, 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 and it's hard to notice change. Correct. The way that I'll kind of describe this is, you know, you think about, you know, we're out of high school 20 years now, right? Right. Okay? Now, if we see each other every single day, and from high school I put on 40 pounds, you don't, you don't realize that I put on that 40 pounds because we see each other every day. Right. Until here comes, you know, Billy from around the corner. Hey, I remember high school. Damn, you got fat. And you're like, wait a minute, you got fat? I see you every day. Nope, because you don't see that change happen when it's right in front of you. You're so familiar with all these games that you don't realize the change is happening right in front of you. You can't see the forest if, you know, you can't see the trees if you're in the forest. Right. Whatever the saying is, right? <laughs> you can't see the forest if you're inside the trees. I don't know. Trees through the forest or something. Yeah. There's some kind of tree there. Yep. This has been great. I mean, this has been a lot of information. We've yeah. covered uh, pretty much everything we wanted to cover in this podcast today. I think we got it done. I think we, we got, got it done. done. We had a good time. Let's do it again. Yeah. True Chicago Sports Fans is... Swazo. And Eddie. And we are produced by Jay Soto. We would like to thank our sponsors, to, uh, Anchor. Uh, we also like to thank City Sports Mask. We have, yeah, we have a deal going right now with City Sports Masks. You can find them at citysportsmasks.com. They have uh, the protective mask that everyone is wearing now that you should be wearing if you know if you want to uh, go out in public. Um, be they responsible. Have, be responsible, absolutely. Uh, every team is available now, and uh, you can get them at citysportsmask.com. Really um, good-looking mask. Got to get one. Got to get one. Let's they're go. They're fantastic. Um, you get a 10% off discount with the code TCSF, which stands for Two Chicago Sports Fans, of course. All right, then uh, that should wrap it up for this episode. We'd like to thank everybody who's uh, listening. Listening. Helping us out. <laughs> we're, we're, us out. We're still getting this, guys. Yeah. We're still getting this, but we appreciate your support. Yeah, thank you guys for uh, supporting, listening, subscribing. Uh, please share. Uh, I know some of us are, are huge sports fans. Share with other enthusiasts, especially, especially all the Chicago fans. This is a very heavy uh, Chicago Cub episode. Uh, so please share with y'all your Cubby fans. Uh, this is the White Sox fan. Yeah. Telling you to share with your Cubby fans. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, YouTube. I mean, you know, find us, share us. You know, we're trying to bring uh, fresh, new, great content for you guys. So, you know, share and uh, help us build our platform. You know, we're, we're looking forward to doing uh, more stuff for you guys. Yeah. A lot of you guys are very visual. So get on the Instagram. Uh, we need we need some new followers on there, and plus Eddie does all the graphics on there, yep. and they're amazing. You, if you if you see thank this you, man you, work on you. these graphics, and, and all the emails and text and messages <laughs> that we get from this man, I mean, I mean it doesn't bother me. But he does an amazing job with that, and uh, we're really 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 glad to have him with us. So with all that being said, thank you to everybody, and look out for the next episode. <laughs>